Hey everyone, and welcome back to Cocktails and Classics Sup? Season 2. Whoop whoop! Season 2. There's no difference Electric between the last Boogaloo. season and this one. Just time. There's not. Oh, this season's but there is a difference lit. in the cast for this episode. I'm Dylan, your host, and with me are Cameron, Ben, and Zach. Hi. We are without Carlos today. And so I guess I'll take over our drink for today. You wish. For this movie, Citizen Kane. So this week we're drinking uh, what we assume they would be drinking in the movie when our reporter goes to talk to Susan. Well, they mention it specifically. Well, they do mention a highball, but they don't mention the liquor. Oh, I believe at this time in the 40s, whiskey is the liquor of choice in America. So a whiskey highball, two ounces of whiskey, and fill to the brim or i think whiskey liking? used to be the poor man's whiskey or poor man's liquor back in the day um yeah but it took a shift around that time mm. because uh rum was harder to get during like world war like rum was like the alcohol uh up until like the 19th beginning of the 19th century i think and uh prohibition and then they uh, switched to whiskey yeah get that american made some grain alcohol Corn, I guess, is bourbon, right? Sure. I, be- I believe I believe bourbon is the one that it's like got to be citation needed on that corn. one. Yeah. <laughs> Bourbon's the corn. Inform us. We citation haven't done the bourbon needed. tour yet. That's season three bourbon tour. Uh, <laughs> don't even on joke. the road. I think that would be hype as fuck. We'll all get in a Subaru and record the podcast from there on the road. <laughs> we'll just go to like yeah. every, a every big one. We got to get Subaru to sponsor this episode. <laughs> this just don't episode. mention yeah, that wizard. With, uh... To be clear, we are not drinking and driving, just driving, then drinking. <laughs> one of us will be though, but the other three won't be. So or four won't be. Oh. So it'll be fine. And then to cover all our bases, we'll just rotate. My dad does have a, a van, so we could all just like Dirty Dylan's travel van? in the van, whiskey tour, record in the van. Ah, uh, shit. Just Sleep in the van? Yes. Sleep in the van together? We'll, we'll go to, I don't know, Jim Bean. They're in Kentucky, right? So like some Jim of the... Bean, part roses. of the problem with like some of those is like Jack Daniels actually is in a dry county, so they, they don't actually sell Jack Daniels at the distillery. No, I'm pretty sure they... The store is like on the... Like, I think the brew isn't like the distillery like on the county line, and you have to like walk over oh, to the place yeah, where you can maybe. actually buy it. Yeah, my okay. parents went there and they bought. Um, they make you buy a commemorative bottle, oh. and it happens to come with uh, a liter of whiskey inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> For you, it's like the how they got around like pot legalization. It's like, yeah, buy yes. a brownie, <laughs> buy and also chocolates. as a gift for you buying this brownie that costs twenty dollars. Here's some we weed. Will, we'll put marijuana in it for you. Sick. <laughs> you take a. Uh, Two ounces of your uh, whiskey, scotch, bourbon of your choice. Um, if you want to do the Japanese method, you'll put ice in there. Stir it 13 and a half times clockwise with just the whiskey. That half time is really important. Then you pour in um, dealer's choice here, soda water or ginger ale. Then put some more ice. Stir again. I think it's three and a half times counterclockwise. 
and then uh, serve. You can put a lemon wedge in there if you're being a little fancy. Um, I don't mind it. I did ginger ale. Um, I have like a homemade ginger syrup because I'm a bougie ass bitch, and I put some tonic water in there, and uh, I I like it. It's it's a sipper. It's pretty good. Yeah. So I tried it with just the whiskey and the club soda, which is just basically whiskey that's fizzy. And that was bad. So I <laughs> I added it's some uh, simple syrup and a little bit of uh, orange bitters to make mine more palatable. I'm going to disagree with Cameron. I had the whiskey in club soda, and it tastes just like whiskey, but carbonated, and it was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right. So he said the same thing, but different. <laughs> I will say the um, the highball was my grandmother's favorite drink. Uh and was it's kind of nice to Charles Kane. Uh, I don't think so. Third wife. Oh. <laughs> this week we watched Citizen Kane from 1941, directed and written starring Orson Welles. Also, like, I feel bad for him because literally his entire life was just trying to remake this success of this movie. Like, <laughs> literally, everyone's like, yeah. "This is the greatest movie ever made," and you're like, thirty. I think uh, he was actually like this again. Twenty six, I think, or something. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah like, it sucks to make the greatest thing you'll that. ever make at twenty five. Then you're like, well, yeah. shit. Yeah. Just ask cool. Ben Affleck cool. and Matt Damon with Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Hey. No, no, no. Daredevil came hey. way later. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Those those boys from Boston did great things. Also, the Bourne trilogy came way later too. Uh, saving Private Ryan called. Guys, I was <laughs> just I was just making correlation to them being 26 when they wrote Goodwill Hunting. And, oh, okay. Um, sure. Sure, sure you did. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Citizen Kane is a kind of like a quasi-biopic of uh, based off of William Randolph Hearst who is a media tycoon um, and founder of like Hearst Communications. Uh, but it's following the death of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane. Uh, reporters scrambled to uncover the meaning of his final words, Rosebud. It has a 100 meta score. It is the 98th top-rated movie on IMDb with an 8.3 out of 10. It won one Oscar, Best Writing Original Screenplay, and was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Black and White, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music. It is heralded as the greatest movie ever made by many a publication. Uh, Cameron, what did you think of Citizen Kane? I was pretty whelmed. I mean, I don't... like. <laughs> I like that I was whelmed. Yeah, I wasn't like I wasn't like underwhelmed, but I certainly wasn't like, wow, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Um but it was it was good. I, I I the themes in it were good. I think are almost timeless and even more like they might even apply more today when uh than when the movie was out in some respects. Uh like I think you know Charlie Kane is this you know obviously media uh conglomerate in one person who essentially tries to tell people what to think uh and tries to control people and you know, we actually have a worse problem where, you know, we have media conglomerates that are like, you know, a thousand Charlie Canes 
all working in unison, you know, in tandem with each other to like do the same thing, but on a larger scale. All to disparage our Lord and Savior, Donald Trump. <laughs> I actually have a fun fact in researching for this movie. I discovered that this is Donald Trump's favorite film. Which Dude, I think is why is that not there kind are of so ironic many ironic things about might that be man. living out the plot of Citizen Kane. It it doesn't surprise me. Like the only thing that honestly that makes that really sad is the fact that Charles Kane was like his political career was ruined by cheating on his wife, and <laughs> Donald Trump's was like buoyed by the fact that he cheated on his yeah not one not many times two yeah. but three wives. <laughs> I mean, I know we were talking, I mean, briefly about uh, Xanadu. Uh, have you seen Hearst Castle, though? Like, no. It's fucking no. amazing. Like, where William Randolph Hearst's, like, family, the castle they own. It's now, like, a historic, uh, like, landmark in California. Um, I, I want to say it's his granddaughter who is married to Chris Hardwick, if you remember who that is. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And Talking oh, Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Yeah. Maybe we'll get uh, Chris Hardwick to give us a shout-out from the ID10T podcast. Is that still a thing? I think he uh, got canceled. Yeah, I think he left... No, he... I think he still owns Nerdist, but he's he doesn't do the Nerdist podcast anymore. Now it's ID10T. ID10T, yeah. The fuck is yeah. that? <laughs> Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> It's oh. idiot. You idiot. But is that like, <laughs> is that a podcast or is that a person? It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Oh. Same format uh, as when he was on Nerdist. Okay. There's not a huge plot to the film. Um, the themes are mainly life and death, loss of childhood, loss of innocence, because that is essentially the meaning of Rosebud. It's his yeah. childhood sled yeah. for this and it's symbolic of this childhood that he never he never had as he's pulled away from his parents and right i mean it's also love with this fucking old geezer yeah it's also love too right because i mean that's the thing he always tries to like you know get by yeah by you know uh (laughs) manipulate for anything where you know like he he didn't have his family um and he couldn't keep people with him because he would you know, cheat on them or whatever, um, or make them perform operas very poorly against their will. <laughs> yeah, um, Citizen Kane right. said it best. It's get love or die trying. I don't think you said that. Yeah, the rose, but I, yeah, it seems like it symbolizes, like I said, like love lost essentially, or that he could never get for himself. But I think it's his friend or someone knows that he didn't have any to give. You know, like he basically wanted yeah, to get it from Leland. people but he couldn't get it or give it. This film is, I feel like it's very divisive. I think people either love it or hate it. And it's definitely, I feel, I feel you can't argue the, like how influential it is. Um, I, like every movie to today has some influence from Citizen Kane and uh, Orson Welles is like, his his want to to have this deep focus uh and if you if you notice in the movie for instance the scene where uh charles is being taken from his parents or they're like giving him away there's the parents talking to thatcher in the foreground then you have the dad 
then the very back you have Charles playing with the sled and it's all in focus and it's all in play in this um almost like Kubrick-esque uh like forced perspective to like carry your eyes back to the back of the frame and watch Charles like be a kid for a second before he becomes a a dick at the end. <laughs> <laughs> he he has good intentions though. Yeah. Well, he start, starts like. with good intentions. At yeah, least. he puts out the de- the declaration of principles and he's basically just trying to get back at Thatcher. Like always calling out his uh is it a trust? Yeah, it's a trust. It's like a financial yeah. trust. Mm-hmm. Um like calling out them and and I f- you slowly like see him turn uh Round about the time when he's having that party and he gets the guys from the... Uh, he buys the Chronicle. Yeah, the Chronicle. Pretty much. He buys the staff of the Chronicle. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, are we going to go to war with Spain? Are we going to go with war with Spain? And you're like, uh, excuse me? Right. Well, that was... I mean, that was based on Hearst. He, like, essentially, like, caused... I mean, a lot of people blame him for the Spanish-American War. I blame him for it. Good old yellow like he essentially yeah he would essentially publish stuff that would like incite violence and anti-spanish sentiment and is, and is blamed for causing it well you know not blame but had a hand in it i think are there any memorable scenes from the film that you guys uh recall uh yeah i love the scene where uh charlie kane is first moving in is it at the inquirer where he's like mr arthur is this your office I'll be moving in, and then it's like bed frames moving in, all of his shit is rug and stuff, and it's oh. it's just a barrage of Mr. Arthur, Mr. Arthur, Mr. Arthur, <laughs> Mr. Arthur, Mr. Arthur. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And every time he tries to get a sentence in, they're just basically like moving him aside. Yeah, and when he he can't figure out which guy is is Charlie Kane, Mr. He starts, Kane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mr. Kane. Uh, actually, he always wanted to be a writer. You? No, you. I also liked the scene where uh, the reporter goes to visit. Oh my god, I can't remember the guy's name. Jedediah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna call him Leland because it's easier. And he's constantly like, "The doctor doesn't want me to have any cigars. Do you have any cigars?" <laughs> like, like the definition of what you expect, like to see. I, I feel like it's become like a common like comedy idea is the old person trying to sneak shit into a nursing home that they can't have yeah he's got a funny line uh he says something to the extent of i talked to this doctor today you see uh, he's got this really funny idea of keeping me alive longer <laughs> he chuckles it off like oh that's a perfect old man oh i also like when he says there was this big thing about nurses were attractive <laughs> when i was younger that nurses were attractive it's about as true now as it was then <laughs> <laughs> Basically, just insulting them. Is he's just like, I don't give a shit anymore. Oh, fucking awesome. Yeah, I think the the memorable scenes for me are where uh, Charlie doesn't get his way. Where basically he, despite having all the money in the world, he essentially there's like you know essentially like two points in the movie where he doesn't get his way. It's essentially when both of his li- wives leave him. Um essentially like the first part where he looks like he's going to be elected governor and then the news of his scandal breaks because he refuses to basically concede um and then the one at the very end where he freaks out when his uh second wife leaves him 
and then he essentially just becomes like you know a lonely hermit after that and so uh those ones are, are the most interesting i think to me mainly because it just kind of shows you the person he is like he's someone who always gets what he wants you know because he has the resources to acquire it uh he surrounds himself with people who essentially just give him what he wants uh and then when he doesn't get what he wants uh or when things like when he has to make a decision that wouldn't benefit him personally he chooses not to do so like when he's like you know when he can essentially save his family and that woman embarrassment he chooses not to and as a result you know his wife leaves him and stuff like that and then at the end where obviously you know like he could have not forced her into an opera career (laughs) uh but he did and then he essentially just like trapped her his wife in this like you know life that she didn't want until she decided that it was enough yeah and then trapped her in a mansion right and could never leave yeah and then when she leaves he like destroys her room yeah i i mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting scene the the first time when uh uh the her last name is norton his first wife um Mm. But like when she gets called and Charles follows her to the the singer's uh, Susan's place, and basically he has the option to like concede, and he kind of you kind of get the glimpse back to old Charles where he's or young Charles I guess not old <laughs> Charles but he's younger but like yeah it is I get the past. what you mean yeah. Um, but when we, uh, he kind of like stands by his morals of, I, like I have to take down this corrupt politician, even though I am not morally okay because I'm a cheater, and I was seeing the singer, but like I must stand by this and and basically downfall with my morals because as soon as the news breaks, he just loses. See, I don't see this as much of a moral thing either. Like, perhaps he is correct that the current mayor is kind of a crook and that he wants to throw him in jail. But at the same time, he's also not... I don't think he's in it for that. I think he's in it to try and get the admiration of the people. And so I don't know if it's actually a moral thing. I think it's actually more of a um, ego thing. I think he's got this hole in his heart, kind of like Cam said, of he needs to be loved by people. So the entire movie outlines his sort of plot you know he wants to be president he wants to be governor he's he's trying to get to a higher office so that more people will have to like him and i think that's why he buys the newspaper so everybody has to hear what he says and he can be beloved um which is kind of funny because on his pursuit to to get more and more affection he actually pushes both of his wives right out the door not only his wives but he also pushes like his friends everyone yeah. yeah, I mean, Mr. Like Bernstein, like no matter what he does, Bernstein's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> uh, uh, he could do no wrong. And then you talk to like Jed Leland and he's like, yeah, when I first met him, like he was great. And then as shit goes on and Jed's just like, this dude is not who he used to be. You know, he he kind of fights for the admiration of all these other people, but the people whose admiration he had from jump, just like, well, I don't give a shit because basically you're not enough. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's really 
like we we say that it seems to be about like love, but on some level it also seems to be about control as well because they mention it at one point, uh, I think it's Jed or something, where he's talking about people coming together for like labor unions, and he's basically saying that uh, you know you want to give people these things as gifts, whereas they want them as rights. So they're not really yours to give, basically. Like, the like Citizen Kane only wants to be nice to people as a gift. You know, like, he only wants people to have good things because he gave it to them, not because they deserve it or that they earned it or that it's a right of theirs to have. Uh, and so I think that just speaks to a level of control, again, that he kind of wants to exert over people, like, just not only in his own life, but just broadly. Yeah, I mean, even uh, on that control aspect, when he he goes in and Leland is passed out writing that like horrible review, uh, he goes in, takes the review, writes a shitty review about his wife at the time for some reason, and then <laughs> fires Leland, and then is like, here's $25,000. Yeah. And it's like, you... I think he did that just to, like... I feel like Charles Cade's one of those people that always has to be right, no matter what. Like, no matter what. Like, I'm better than you, and I'm, I'll am i do anything to prove it. Like, and I'm always... So, I think he saw Leland was writing this bad review. It was like, oh. Oh, you're going to write a bad review? Well, you know what? And, and you can't even finish it? To prove to you that I'm willing... Like, to prove to you that I'm not just going to 100% like change it and make it positive i'm gonna write your negative review only i'm gonna write it more scathing than you would have just to prove to you that i would do it like i feel like he and then and then i'm gonna blame you for it anyways so it doesn't really matter because if i take credit for it then people are not gonna like well my wife's also gonna fucking hate me Well, I'll just wait. It's just so wild because he like makes her do this. She doesn't want to do it. Like his whole life is trying to prove things to everybody. It's like she doesn't want to be a great opera singer. She didn't want the opera house. She doesn't want this career. And like he basically like it's it seems like it's implied that like he either forces like pays people to go or like the, the press coverage is so good that people just show up anyway, even though she's not good. Like, it's essentially like, you know, being like dragged around and doing something you know you're not good at, and then having a bunch of people show up, watch you do the thing you know you're not good at, and you know that they know that you're also not good at it. It's like child sports. (laughs) Yeah, only you just gotta go see it. Kids don't know that they suck. Or, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's the thing. Charles Kane is basically a a dad, and he is, uh, he's forcing young Billy. to go out and play baseball every week, even though he can't hit the ball off you're, the tee. <laughs> you're going to play baseball, and you're going to love it. Dude. But, I, but Dad, I don't want to play. You're going to play baseball. There was a kid. There was. Uh, I was out on my deck, like, a couple months back, and I, I all of a sudden, like, I heard, like, some yelling over on the cul-de-sac over by me, and I was like, what the heck? So I, like, look over. I'm seeing what's going on. And this dad is, like, yelling at this kid out of their car. Because the kid was, like, afraid of, like, getting hit by the ball or something. And he was just, like, berating his kid so so loudly that I could hear it. I was like, this is gross. I don't know. Like, what are you doing, dude? 
Like, it's not that it serious. Is... These are child sports. Come on, bro. Toxic masculinity. Totally, yeah. like, there's always one person who's like sitting there and like screaming. They're like, ref can't call a strike. And it's like, no, your kid just can't. He's not good at the game. <laughs> They're like, he basically called, I mean, he didn't use the word, but he basically called his kid a pussy because he was like, yeah. Sir, these are, these are four-year-olds. They don't know the rules. Well, uh, uh, it's like the parents that like complain about keeping score. It's like the kids don't, this kid's out in the middle of the field picking dandelions. He doesn't know <laughs> what is going on. And you're sitting here complaining that your team's not quote unquote winning. Like, calm down. Jim Jim ran to third base instead of first base. I think I think there's more issues with this game than who's winning. Is there a memorable quote within the film that uh, stuck out to you guys? There was one that came like literally as I was watching it I was like, "Oh, I have to remember that because that's that's a great quote." And it was Bernstein and he says, "Old age, it's the only disease that you don't look forward to being cured of." It was like, oh, damn, that's deep. <laughs> that cuts deep. It's a deep cut poetry. <laughs> Which is, I mean, for the fact that Orson Welles wrote the movie, didn't yep. he? Yeah. For a man who's 26 years old to write something like that, that man, that's, that's pretty fucking deep. Yeah, Leland has another one along that same lines. Uh, I can remember anything. That's my curse, young man. It's the greatest curse that's ever been inflicted on the human race memory. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was uh, Charlie Kane himself says, I always gagged on the silver spoon, which I thought was funny because because the they, they pull him out of like this. <laughs> yeah. The gag part. <laughs> that's what got me. Classic. Classic. <laughs> There's a, yeah, there's a lot of that uh... thought. <laughs> I feel like he was in the mid thought. Oh, did... <laughs> no, you guys. I was gonna, I was gonna use like 200 words, and you guys summed it up in like four. So that's better. <laughs> <laughs> it basically was ripped out of his childhood, which is sort of the catalyst for the entire movie taking place. It's what makes Charlie Kane who he is, um, and it, he kind of openly admits, "I always gagged on the silver spoon." Like. What an ironic thing to say early in life because that's going to be your downfall. Yeah, I mean, the guy basically just had to get to the age of 25, I think it is. Eight. 25. Oh, when he gets the... When he, yeah, when 25 he's going to get like, millions and millions of dollars. He's, he's got to get yeah. to like 25 or something. So it's like, I just imagine having ungodly wealth waiting for you to just age at the a The sixth point. largest fortune in the world. Yeah. At 25. Yeah, it's unreal. Uh, when they're basically like at the end of the movie and they're like, they're talking about kind of putting together Charles Kane's life as a jigsaw. And they're like, I bet if you found out what Rosebud, what in Rosebud was, it would have, you know, it would have put the whole thing together. And he's like, I don't think so. Mr. Kane was a man who got everything you wanted and lost it. Maybe Rosebud was something you couldn't get or something you lost. Anyway, it wouldn't have explained anything. I don't think any word can explain a man, explain a man's life. I guess Rosebud is just a piece in a jigsaw, a missing piece. Like, damn. Yeah, that monologue at the end is great. I like how they always reference that too, though. They're like, "Oh man, if you just knew what Rosebud was, it would all put the whole yeah, thing together." It would, un it would unlock his entire life. 
And meanwhile, you kind of see his life story. I, I think that's kind of the the irony of the the movie is that Rosebud really does not help put anything into perspective. Yeah, and they never, no one ever actually finds out what it is besides the viewer. Right, because it's throwing yeah. the fire. I mean, it, it kind, it's of, kind does. of I don't oh. think it, I mean, I think it helps, but I think it just kind of, it, it doesn't unlock much, but I mean, it's essentially just like his childhood as we've described. So it's like, you know. Yeah. It does add it's like to the it, only piece yeah, it's of not the, the puzzle only you don't get actually though. Yeah. Is is from age yeah. eight to twenty six or whatever when he leaves to go to Europe. Yeah. It, it's it's that well, missing piece is thrown into the, the fire because no one really knew him besides Thatcher and Thatcher never describes his childhood. Yeah. Or lack thereof. Speaking of Rosebud, this is a really obscure reference. In the movie Here we go. He's trying to figure out what Rosebud is, and I think it's the 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 uh, the butler who's like, "What's Rosebud worth to you? A thousand dollars?" And in The Sims, there's a cheat code called Rosebud, and it gives you a thousand simoleons. <laughs> and I just got that connection today. It's such an obscure reference, but it's so interesting to me that they chose that. Listeners are gonna love that. It's so interesting to me that they that they did that. I don't know why. Sims deep lore. Sims deep lore. Guys, it's not even the best money cheaters. No, (laughs) we we took season one to really get to know you guys. Season two, we're hitting it hard. We know you guys. We're tuned in. We know the facts. We know you want want deep Sims, and we're giving them to you hard. Our next Sims podcast is going to be exclusively in Simlish. Just like the Swedish chef. That sounds like the Swedish. Yes, exactly. Um, were there any surprises? No to the Simlish podcast. No, we're not doing Simlish. Were there any surprises for anyone? Um. I think rewatching it, no. Uh, I think this movie's hard to to be surprised by because it's been around for almost sixty years. Over so, sixty. Oh no! 80. Shit, eighty. <laughs> Math is hard. Ben's still Hold living on. in two thousand one. <laughs> wow, you hit your heart. You hit your head pretty hard there. What? <laughs> Donald yeah, Trump. Guys. The guy on TV? No. <laughs> the guy from Home Alone 2? <laughs> yeah, almost 80 years going into it, like every... I love The Apprentice. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> we talked about it with um, some of the other like older movies we've done. There's no surprise in this movie. If, if Unless you've been like living under a rock, you probably know what Rosebud is within the first few minutes of the movie you hear him say rosebud and you go oh that's the sled i did not know that (laughs) i did not know what it was until the end of the movie cameron lives under a rock confirmed got it (laughs) that's the whole point of Um, this thing we're doing (laughs) (laughs) but uh as well call this podcast the rock with nicholas cage and sean connery (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to watch movies from so long ago and be like yeah I was so shocked by this thing. Yeah. It's like, no, I've seen it referenced a million times. I know exactly what it is. I know 
So yeah, to sit there and be like, oh, this story's the story is so boring. A six-year-old could write it. Well, yeah, a six-year-old could write it probably because that six-year-old seen it probably half a dozen times already through other mediums and other, you know, other instances of cult, pop culture that have referenced it. So, however, I will say parts of this movie are, they, they do get super bland and kind of, you know, the 15 minutes you watch of film footage that basically explains his whole life. And then you have just to watch your, his whole life again. <laughs> just just to re exactly, yes. Just to rewatch his whole life again. Yeah. Come on. Okay. Jesus Christ. To that point, I, I do think you could literally just be like, oh, f- like popular newspaper man, Charles Kane dies. Blah blah like make that whole segment like thirty seconds. Oh my god. And then we find so out long. about Charles Kane. Yeah. And yes. the next I'm, the entire movie's two hours, but if we took out the well, first 15 minutes, just, <laughs> hour 45 I minutes. I mean, just even, like, the stuff that happens with his first wife and, like, the whole him seeing this, you know, the song, the quote-unquote singer. Yeah. Like, that would have been such a great surprise to get in the movie as opposed to it being explained to you in the first 10 minutes through a fucking film reel. Right. Yeah, but people in the 40s were dumb, so we have to explain everything. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag evolution, which didn't exist in the 40s. Shout out boomers. (laughs) Still ruining. Who are just being born. No, Citizen Kane. Ah, Citizen Kane, see? Charles Foster Kane. Not as good as the Phantom Menace, see? Here, let me explain his entire life in the next 15 minutes. You can watch it over the course of the next two hours. Pay pay five cents. It's a Nickelodeon. (laughs) Get it? Anyway. Like the television channel that you'll see in a few years with a sponge talking on it with a squid and a starfish. <laughs> see? <laughs> and a weird dog and a cat that mysteriously got attached. Somehow, Somehow. they morphed in the middle. How do they poop? We don't know. Can't dog. Can't dog. They poop into each other. What's up, Allison? <laughs> it's like a reverse human centipede. It just goes back and forth. Ben, is that Taco Bell? It is. No! Yeah. <laughs> Rip. Did you get the wine? Oh, man. I don't think no, they sell it at the store. Taco Bell wine. No, uh, I didn't. Sorry. They don't give it to you in the drive-thru. So this week's podcast is brought to you by Surfside Sips. They make high-impact glass straws. They're a family-owned company. And and what's better than saving saving the turts, you know? The turts? <laughs> the turts. You know, I'm one of those people who hates using paper straws. Paper straws fucking Paper straws suck. suck. I love the worst what solution. they do. I love... The, that we're we're minimizing the use of plastic straws. I enjoy that. Paper straws suck ass. They suck. They're the worst possible solution because turns out, guess what? Paper and water don't fucking mix. Okay, I don't know who came up with it, but it doesn't work. Even though even though they put coating on it to try and help, it doesn't work. It just gets soggy, and you end up throwing it away anyway. And that's just more waste. And so, but you know what doesn't get soggy? Glass. Yeah. Glass straws from Surfside Sips. And if you want. To get some glass straws from Surfside Sips, you can use coupon code Cocktails and Classics spelled out. That's Cocktails A and D Classics for twenty percent off your order. And if you're looking for a business to support during this time, seems like a good idea. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, 
and self-development. But essentially what it is, is every month you get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from their monthly selection. So, Dylan and Zach, what are your experiences with Audible? So, working from home nowadays, I recently used Audible to rip through one of my favorite book series. It's always great to go back and revisit some of your favorites. And since we've recently done From Russia with Love, you could, could check out some of Ian Fleming's books on Audible. Uh, they have Dan Stevens, Toby Stevens, uh, Damian Lewis, many great narrators read through Diamonds Are Forever from Russia with Love, Live and Let Die. So maybe you want to get into the James Bond novels as well as the movies. To start your free 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash cocktails and classics, all lowercase. Again, that's audible.com slash cocktails and classics. After your free trial is up, it costs $14.95 per month. However, there are no commitments, and if you can't decide what to listen to, that's okay. You can roll your credits over up to one year. At this point, if you don't know, now you know. It's time for Zach to take over and put us through a trivia quiz. Zach, take it away. Thank you, Dylan. All right, guys, question number one. To kick off season two, episode one of the Cocktails and Classics podcast with my favorite cocktails. At what age did Orson Welles make the cover of Time Magazine for the first time? Is it A, 23, B, 33, or C, 43? I'm going to say 23 because I'm fairly certain he was actually kind of famous before making this movie, like a little bit. I think he did plays before this i'm gonna say 23 as well because i think uh war of the worlds yeah on the map i think that that's what it was and, yeah and that is what got him on time i was going to say the exact same thing 23 for the exact same reason dylan just gave war of the worlds well you guys may uh you guys may have colluded prior to this. The answer is twenty three. <laughs> but you know, that's fine. I don't even care. I have an amazing tiebreaker for you if we need it. And I was really that want the reason why he was on time or do you know? I don't know. I'm just here to ask you the questions. Okay. I don't research this shit. I don't even hey, know if the answers are right. Uh during the filming <laughs> <laughs> It's mildly accurate. It's <laughs> It's close. I have it's close. Knowledge of many things. <laughs> I mean, he was like somewhere between twenty and thirty, I guess. I don't know. Anywho, question number two. Question number two. During the filming and production of this movie, how many cups of coffee did Wells consume during each day? <laughs> Hang Is on. this the Billy on the Street Hang question? <laughs> Is it? Is it a ten? Oh no, it goes. You higher. know how the questions go around here. Yeah. B twenty or C thirty. What the fuck? <laughs> That's so much coffee. Coming from somebody who had three cups of coffee today, I was fucking jittery. I don't know how I'm... you do ten. Oh my god. Was coffee just weaker back then? Maybe they didn't <laughs> make strong coffee. It was just like they didn't have that Maxwell House pussy shit. coffee. <laughs> Yeah, if anything, I feel like it was probably French more roast. potent. Extra bold. <laughs> oh, God. They like their bean water spicy. 
I like it muddy. Uh, I'll shoot down the middle and say, what, 30, 20. I'll shoot down the middle and say 20. Yeah, 10, 20, and 30. Those are the options. Yeah, I'll say 20. If the grinds don't get caught in between my teeth and my gum, I don't want it. Ew, (laughs) gross. Uh, Shit, dude. 10 is insane. That's. Oh, man. I'm gonna say A, 10 cups of coffee. It's so low, you weakling. It's so low, 10 cups. How many cups of coffee you drink a day, buddy? Zero to one. One. (laughs) Do I meme and just go 30? 30 seems like a shit ton. Um, You know what, though? I I could see him drinking just coffee sunup to sundown. And like the fact that he was the director meant he was there for the entire filming, like no matter what was going on. Fuck it. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say thirty. So I did learn a ton about Orson Welles his diet during the movie. Uh actually more than I cared to know. He would go stretches, they said of days where he wouldn't eat at all, and then he would sit down for a meal and order like three steaks and a shit ton of sides. And that's just kind of how it went for a while. But to curb his hunger, he would consume roughly 30 cups of coffee a day. Wow. I don't understand how that happens. If he's getting, well, if you got 30 cups of coffee, what are you getting? Maybe four hours of sleep a night? I mean, again, figure if he's there first thing in the morning and he's leaving late at night and he's just drinking coffee and like railing coffee. I mean, who knows? Maybe his body just adjusted to it, and yeah. he was sleeping like a goddamn baby. I know people, I think Forrest drinks coffee like, he'll finish coffee like 20 minutes before he goes to sleep, which, I mean, mind you, is like I was going to say, does he drink coffee him, at 2 a.m.? But... I mean, there are people that. that I mean, I can, can I can do that for the most part. I can do that. Yeah, I could as well. I, think. I can if it's like a Bruce Wayne when there's some maple syrup and some bourbon mm-hmm. in there for sure. Uh, uppers and downers, uppers and downers. Yeah, mm-hmm. combo. All righty, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. After two questions, we have Ben in the lead with two points. Cameron and Dylan each have a point. I really, Four. I really want to do the tiebreaker. So if you guys could just work this for me, that'd be awesome. Question number three. What year was RKO Pictures founded? Is it A, 1918, B, 1928, or C, 1938? Well, I guess I'll go first because these guys need to answer different in order to do a tiebreaker. <sighs> I'm going to say 1918. Um, I will say the 1920s number. I feel like this movie came out in 41, so 38 feels way too, like, it, like the, this movie studio was founded and then they came out with this movie. I don't buy it. I don't know. I will say, to talk about that answer is to sway someone into that answer. That was, wasn't this, wasn't Citizen Kane, Orson Welles' like first directorial movie? Yeah, it was his yeah. first movie. So, I mean, that that movie for the time, probably had a pretty decent budget. You gotta think, do you think an established an established studio is going to give someone that kind of budget for their first movie? Do they I think, think this motherfucker is Spike Lee? Know. 
Well, so he um. did War of the Worlds, and I think, if I remember correctly, I think that he actually got like an exclusivity deal with this studio company for like four years or something, which was insane for a person who had never produced a movie before. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to say B, 1928, I believe it was. Yeah. I'm also going to say that answer. I think 1918 is too early uh, because they were still doing silent pictures. And I think like the first big silent movie came out like 1920, like the jazz pianist, I think is what it was dropping some film nerd nerd on you no it's appreciated um i don't know if that is correct but 1928 is correct nice which means you guys really did me a solid because (laughs) i i dug deep for this tiebreaker and i'm glad i get to use it and i'm even more glad that my bud dylan to open up season two has a chance to get a win fuck and wow uh i was way off here uh the jazz singer uh, it's a 1927 American musical drama. Wow. All right. This one, this tiebreaker, I'm very proud of it. It does um, it does favor Dylan because it, it leads right into his specialty. So, typical format, closest without going over, short and sweet, how many pterodactyls appear in the film? There are multiple? <laughs> pterodactyls how is that my specialty (laughs) (laughs) no so you uh take up dinosaurs i know you were a big pterodactyl guy in college performed a lot of pterodactyls in your day god damn it oh no god i should have known where this is going duke gets pterodactyl every time we do a every time we do trivia on the podcast this wasn't a podcast so you all could see this <laughs> there are many pterodactyls it's so weird i'm gonna say two how many pterodactyls did you guys see in the film i don't know i none i did i saw zero <laughs> uh i'm gonna say zero i did not see a single pterodactyl yeah i didn't either but since zach asked the question i assume there's at least one <laughs> i'm i'm gonna say four Holy shit, if it's four, I'm going to blow, I'm going to freaking lose it. But, (laughs) but I'm going to say four. I feel like there's got to be some statues and shit. Maybe there's something on a painting or in a building or on a wall. Exactly. Or maybe, uh, those are are not included. Painted pterodactyls and stuff do not count. If that helps you at all. (laughs) How many real pterodactyls did they film? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) A hundred. Uh... All right, so the answer is not four. Uh, Cameron did have a point. I said pterodactyls, which gives away that there's at least one, or there's more than one. The answer is five. Five what? pterodactyls what? appear in the film. Where? Um, shit. They're in Where? the background. If you look at the the beginning, and anytime they do like a wide shot of uh, Zandu, there's birds in the background. They're actually pterodactyls from the set of King Kong. That were reused oh and filmed. Okay. Jesus. That's a win for your boy. That's so weird. That is a boy. That and is a win for your boy, the Ben. Streak. Starting the new season strong. Let's go. Ben with the three to two to two win. Congrats, Ben. Woo! 
those of us who have seen it wrote down our ratings based off memory and nostalgia. And now I want to know if your ratings have changed or not. This is season two, and we're mixing things up, and I want to hear Cameron's review first. Uh Oh, Oh, shit. I was not ready for this. Okay. The theme of my review is just because it came first, does that mean it's the best? I think that there's something to be said about it coming first and it introducing these ideas and it inspiring lots of other movies. I get that. But at the same time, I don't, I don't, I personally don't believe that just because something came first that other things can't do it better or that, you know, other things can't build upon it. And then, like I said, be be considered better than the original. Uh, And so I think this movie had some interesting themes. I wasn't as blown away with the cinematography, although it it was good. I'm not saying it was bad. Um, I can appreciate it for what it is, but it wasn't like when I was watching the movie, I wasn't like, wow, this is such a great movie. Similar to how I was with like, you know, 12 angry men or whatever, or, um, or, uh, do the right thing. I wasn't sitting there like, wow, this is a great movie that I'm experiencing. So I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to give this one like a seven out of 10. I think, um, I recognize that it's an important piece of cinematography. Uh, a lot of things have drawn inspiration from it. That said, I I don't think that just because this is the first movie to do a lot of things that it should be the best movie. I think that there are that it has inspired a lot of other movies that have done fantastic things, uh, and a lot of them have done it better because you know techniques have evolved, technologies evolved. You know, uh, art itself is a compounding medium you know where people learn from each other and then produce other things that might be better so yeah yeah there's a certain amount of respect that has to go with they were the first one to do it so they get a ton of credit for that but i i do tend towards the idea that whatever comes after has the potential to be better because it can incorporate whatever the new ideas are and use the old thing as like a base as just like a jumping off point So people can take Citizen Kane 20, 30, 40 years later and say, hey, this was really good, but what if I did this one thing that people didn't like and I made it a little bit better? And then in that case, you probably have a better movie. That being said, this movie has a ton of stuff that I love. The storyline, not so much that it's like we're watching Citizen Kane, like his life happen over and over again, but it's the idea that There's this thing that he wants and he has to have it and he just can't get it. And he's almost like got the blinders on. Um, I love that sort of storyline. This movie, like Ghostbusters, there's a spin for you, does have a painted backdrop in it. A couple of them that I love. There's there's a scene where Charlie Kane is giving a speech and it's like this auditorium. It's a fun fact that that was actually a photograph that he was speaking to. And they just poked little holes in the photograph and moved it back and forth with some lighting to make it look like people were moving. Shit like that that is super interesting that I didn't even notice the first time through. Um, I, I think people, like whoever, you know, who made this movie get a ton of, or need to get a ton of credit for doing that sort of stuff. It's definitely a movie that I can watch over and over again and still enjoy. Um, I said it earlier, I think the thing that hurts this movie the most is that it's, 
heralded as the greatest movie of all time, so people watch it more critically. All that being said, I still think it deserves a 9 out of 10. Like, I think if you cut the initial newsreel that's just too long, where we get Citizen Kane his entire life, if you cut that out or maybe make it shorter and then just let the story play out, um, I think it's a better movie and maybe it gets to a 10, uh, but I feel comfortable leaving it at a 9. To piggyback off of Zach's point, I I do agree with the maybe fudging with the newsreel a little bit if you do like a, a different cut. Um, maybe leave a little bit more up to mystery, but we do get the fine details like you get the general overarching, like this was his life, but then we get the fine details when the actual story plays out, how it's currently set. So maybe leaving more up to mystery could add a little bit more, like uh, I guess like thrilling anticipation to it. But I do think this deserves its title as one of the greatest films ever made. Do I think it is the best? I I don't think it necessarily sits at the top spot, but for all the inspiration that it has caused, and to be honest, it's it's a great character piece in my mind. Like seeing the flaws of this man, who is supposedly like a great newspaper tycoon, and you see him, you see him be a horrible person and cheat. You see him lose all his friends and alienate himself, and and honestly, never gets redemption. He never like corrects his ways and and i feel like it, it's nice in that way that it doesn't necessarily have a, a happy ending and we never find out actually what rosebud is like within the plot of the film um and i i yeah i agree with zach I, i'm actually gonna give it a nine out of ten previously i had it at an eight out of ten and upon rewatching it i i bumped it up i think it's it is one of the greatest films ever made. It is a grandiose like masterpiece. Going into this movie, I had watched it for film appreciation. Um, I'd given it like a six and a half out of ten. Things I, I didn't really pick up on as much during the original initial watches I did this much. Um, it's interesting that we kind of talk about like the like the cinematography just kind of not being something like we didn't really notice. I was the exact opposite. I think that's honestly something that I love about the fact that we do this podcast is it's made me appreciate those kind of things so much more now. I will say I, I do appreciate the plot of the movie. I appreciate it more being the case of like being framed as the guy trying to find the meaning of this thing to try and basically unlock the secret behind this man's life. And in the meantime, you kind of get to see it. Yeah, overall, like I said, the newsreel thing was is it's rough. I, I, I know they give you some of the, you know, kind of the overarching and they let the, the character story narrative fill in the details, but I just think leaving it more as something that you get to kind of go on the journey of discovering who he was. But yeah, I do agree that having a protagonist that doesn't really get redeemed in the end is something that's really interesting and something you don't see nowadays. So all that said... I'm going to go ahead and change my rating. <laughs> change my rating from a six and a half and I'm going to I'm going to bump it up to an eight and a half. I think it deserves its place as being um a great movie. I think being labeled the greatest of all time does it a disservice. If you were to show someone this movie and say this is a movie that you know 
just don't say anything. Just tell them, watch, watch this movie and tell me what you think in the, in the frame that it was made in 1940 versus being like, oh, you have to watch this movie. It's the greatest movie ever made. Really kind of an unfair pressure to put on any movie. Well, is that a Surfside sip you're sipping over there? <laughs> no, just a regular sip. Oh, well, <laughs> buy some, <laughs> buy some buy Surfside, Surfside sips. sips. Use coupon code Cocktails and Classics at checkout for twenty percent off. This is a free ad. Use our <laughs> Audible uh, affiliate link. Get you an Audible trial. Uh, check out Anchor. I mean, what's it's free. What do you have to lose? You know, make it's a podcast, free. whatever, dude. That's what we're doing. Well, you can make a podcast. Get anyone it. on this planet can make one, okay? Yeah, get her done. Uh, Yeet is that copyrighted? Or, or what? I don't know. Whatever the kids are saying. That's a. I heard that's a serious medical condition. So That's what Ben Shapiro to told me. I so heard, his wife I heard said my name was really worried about where you were taking that. And I was like, am I going to have to be the Carlos? Our our edge lord and savior Ben Shapiro told me. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, check us out on Instagram. Home. <laughs> check us out on Instagram. Send us your drink and movie recommendations at Cocktails and Classics Pod. Um, we want to know what you want to hear. Coming up, we got Halloween movies in October, Christmas movies in Christmas. I mean, December. we might watch some, some snuff films, some wine and cheese in February. <laughs> Def- definitely snuff films in january for some reason uh it's my birthday romantic yeah. comedies february <laughs> did they make did they make st patrick's movies march they do I don't yeah know. uh go well hunting is one of them leprechaun yeah exactly so send us your movie recommendations for those themes or months if there's one you particularly want we want to hear it and uh as always watch responsibly 